couple of recommendations I'd like to make. Oh, and do you want to grab the act of marriage and ten top tips? Two recommendations. We're going to, t- tonight we're going to talk about sex, in just case you hadn't guessed. Maybe that's why you're all here. Anyway, <laughs> we are making available every Sunday night uh, books. And uh, last week we recommended uh, Maximize Manhood. And I really encourage you, I don't know if there's any left, but is there any Maximize Manhood left on? There's two or three. Guys, you want to get hold of that book. It's really, really good. Very, very helpful for you. My lovely assistant, Oina. Here is The Act of Marriage, which, to be honest, Owen could almost have written. Uh, This is about sexual love. The great thing about this book is it talks very explicitly about sex, but it does it just as explicitly as any worldly book would. But it does it with a different emphasis. A godly emphasis, a love emphasis, rather than a lust emphasis. So I want to highly endorse this book. Not if you're single and no chance of getting married in the new future. But if you're planning getting married and it's, it's kind of imminent, uh, this would be an excellent book to read. It talks very openly about whole things. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come on. This is 10 Hot Tips by Sue Owen. Now, ladies, did you have a good time last night? Yeah. Yes. I heard it was great. 110 ladies, I believe, were here. Well done, Kat, for organizing and the team. Well done. Well done. And uh, Sue Owen was here last night. Uh, Sue Owen's 10 Hot Tips. Um, Guys, you might want to buy it for your wives. Uh, Ladies, you want to listen to this? Uh, it's excellent. It's just a, a lot of it's very just practical tips for life about girls being great girls and wives being great wives and, and so on. Uh, but it does cover some sexual things as well, which I think are very helpful, very poignant, very honest, and very helpful. So uh, 10 Hop Tips by Sue. And how much is that available for? Two pounds. Two pounds. Okay, that's just probably just cost price. So, And the act of marriage is? Nope. It's, it says here UK 499, so we'll go with that. Yeah, five quid, act of marriage. Thank you very much, Owen. Let's see you for our lovely assistant. I have to be honest, everything I'm going to teach you tonight, I did learn from Owen. Owen's on staff. He is our event manager, and I want to dedicate this message to my friend Owen. And uh, Owen, apparently, this is a true story, Owen used to be a photographer on board cruise ships. And uh, on one particular cruise, it was a naked cruise. Is that right, Owen? It was a naked cruise. So Owen has honestly been the photographer on board a naked cruise ship. It's one of the highlights of his life. <laughs> he, he often talks about it and makes reference to it. And apparently he had to be naked as well. So he... he <coughs> no, it's, don't listen to him. I'm the pastor. I tell truth. And <coughs> apparently he, what he did was he lengthened his, uh, the strap on his thing so, so his camera hung very strategically in the right location. And uh, he had to vary, vary the degrees of exposure at different times just to make sure it's all right. And no, anyway, he didn't care if it was daylight. He loved, he loved flash photography. So it was... Um, so Owen taught me everything I know about this subject, and I, so I want to pay tribute to Owen before we start. If, if you're here and you're, you're single, you might think, tonight, Peter, this is very, very cruel. It's a bit like you've been given a job in a in a wine store as an ex-alcoholic, and you're told, you can work in this wine store, but don't touch any of the wine. <laughs> okay, so here you are, single, 
and uh, I'm talking about sex, but we believe sex is for within marriage. So if you're here and you're married, hopefully this will help you tonight. If you're here and you're not married, hopefully you'll want to get married after tonight. Okay. Also, I'm aware that there are a whole range of emotions and a whole range of experience in this room. Some of you have been devastated uh, by bad sexual experience. Absolutely devastated. Now, you put a very brave face on, and that's admirable. But some of you have been raped, some of you lassies. Some of you have, have raped others. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have abused others. The chances are you maybe were abused and you turned into an abuser. I, I do not assume for one moment we have the perfect crowd here. I assume that the statistics in the world turn up at church. And truly a church that's growing and reaching out to the world around us, we expect the statistics out there to touch our, our church. So there are a huge range of emotions when it comes to this. And there's a whole load of confusion. And there's a whole load, some of you are carrying massive guilt and great condemnation in your hearts about this whole area. So you find this a very hard subject. Well, tonight, I, th- I think there's nothing worse than not talking about subjects. There's nothing worse. Fact is, um, if you've had good parents, your parents will have told you the birds and the bees uh, as you were growing up. Uh, they will have done it not in some awkward way, but in a proper way. Although it's probably always, always was a bit awkward. <laughs> no matter how awkward they felt, you definitely felt awkward. I remember mum broaching the subject with me. She said, Peter, um, and I said, that's all right, mum, I know. And that was it. That, honestly, that was my birds and the bees talk. <laughs> I just thought, no way am I going there with you. <laughs> um, so genuinely, but the way I learned the birds and the bees uh, wasn't through Owen. Uh, it was uh, school playgrounds. That was it. And many of you are the same. You know, your mum and dad told you a bit of information that much. <laughs> um, but the rest you learned on the street in the school playgrounds. And to be honest, it most likely wasn't the wisest place to learn. <laughs> and you probably heard a very warped version of the birds and the bees. And probably the least likely place you're going to hear about the birds and the bees is in church. And that's tragic. Because we should be talking about subjects such as the birds and the bees. At church, it should be the place where everyone gets a great education about what life can be like. Not from some crass or some uh, kind of below the belt way, but in an appropriate, godly way. That we can talk honestly and openly about such areas. And when things are out in the open, it leaves little room for shadowy sin, for corruption, for guilt and condemnation. And it results in people being healthy, having great relationships, and to be honest, having great sex. So that's the aim of tonight. We're going to talk about these things, hopefully in an open and an honest way. And I realize we won't be able to tackle all fronts tonight. And uh, the plan is, next Sunday evening, isn't, we don't have a Sunday evening service. Once a month, on the first Sunday of every month, we have a big celebration event through in Glasgow, which you're all welcome to come through to. Spaces are limited. We, ha- we hire the biggest bus we can hire. And uh, I think last month, all the seats were taken by the first service in the morning. So please do get your names down to reserve your seat for next Sunday night. But the Sunday night after that, we'll be back here again. We'll be teaching, continuing the theme of uh, sex. And then after that, we're going to continue the week after on looking at marriage. And then we're going to continue on the theme of marriage for a couple of weeks. Then we're going to look at parenting. Then looking at kids. And in the morning meeting in a few, uh, few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at marriage and divorce. So we're going to hopefully cover all these fronts. Uh, so I encourage you, uh, if, if you miss anything, get a hold of the MP3 
which are all available typically within the week after it's spoken uh, online for available for free downloads. So please make the most of that facility and refresh your mind in some of these things. So what are, let, let's pray first of all before we go into this. Lord, I want to thank you that you're with us tonight. God's sex, according to the Bible, isn't some underhand, strange, crass thing. It is also isn't an ungodly thing. But God, we pray that, because you have a lot to say about sex, in fact, you created it. We ask that you'd speak to us as we look at this subject. And I pray, God, <coughs> for every person here. God, some people here might be completely unreligious, and it's so great to have them with us tonight. Some people here, God, might have had oh, a whole host of sexual experience, good and bad. God, some people may have been abused or may have been abusers. And I pray, God, that tonight light will be shed on this subject. Your freedom will come and people will enjoy a liberated, happy, fulfilling sex life as they go into the future with your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And before we get into this, let me say as well that some of you tonight maybe haven't got a relationship with God yet. And you know what I want to encourage you? We're talking about relationships between people. That's what the focus of tonight is. Before I start and when I end, I'm going to be talking about your relationship with God. Because actually, above all relationships, where you're at with you and Him is more than anything else. It is so incredible. It is worth more than anything else. It is the most important thing for you to consider. And please, if you're distant with God, you're in a really bad place. You might not feel you're in a bad place, but I'm convinced you're in a bad place. And I I just urge you strongly, with all my heart, with no double agenda here, with all my heart, I urge you, please get into relationship with God. He loves you more than anyone else. And one of the best things you can do to prepare you for human love is no divine love. And divine love will inspire you to love people. It will inspire you to be the best wife, best husbands, best friends, best boyfriend, girlfriends that you can possibly be. That love brings you security and it brings you peace. And you know, if, if, if you're carrying all the baggage and hurts from the past without experiencing the love of God, it's not putting you in a good place to experience long, healthy relationships in the future. The love of God can deal with all the fears and all the apprehensions and all the negative stuff of the past. Come to him tonight. He is so for you. And he demonstrated by sending Jesus to die for you on the cross. So please consider that. Okay, what are the world's view on sex? The world's view is a very dim view, to be honest. Statistically, at the turn of the 19th, uh, 19th century, sorry, at uh, the turn of the 20th century, in the 1900s, 92% of brides were virgins when they got married. In 1960, this uh, had fallen to about 43% of brides were virgins when they got married. And by the 1980s, it had gone down to 14% uh, of brides were virgins when they got married. Uh, so this trend reflects a different change in the, the mentality and the concept of Western culture regarding sex. Typically, the advice the world would give you is if it feels good, do it, as long as you don't cause any implications by you doing it. That's the advice the world would give you. And many people conveniently just go with that advice. And it's convenient because, of course, you're going to do, feel, do what feels good. And if you've got someone giving you permission to do that, then you don't feel so bad about it. But it isn't the wisest advice. It isn't the safest advice. Not that we are against pleasure, not that we are against you having a great life. 
actually, because we want you to have a great life, that is not the best advice. Because the mentality that says if it feels good, do it, results in hurt. Because it might not be hurt to you, but it might hurt the person you're doing whatever you're doing to. Because all you're doing is taking. You ain't in any way interested in them, in their long-term health, sexual health, or well-being. You're just taking from them. The world's perspective is this. Go get. That isn't God's perspective. And I hope it's not yours because that kind of mentality makes you treat other people as objects to be desired rather than as human beings who deserve commitment and respect. So that's, that's one to be avoided. There was a, Bryn Jones <coughs> stood up once at a conference and he held up two photographs. And he asked the people at the conference, what's the difference between these two photographs? Now both photographs were very similar. They both had pictures of scantily clad ladies draped over the bonnets of cars. That was one picture and exactly the same picture on the other one. The only difference was one was black and white. And as people were looking at it, they're trying to figure out what the difference was. They, they couldn't really tell the difference. And um, he said, well, the difference is this. This was Playboy 1970, and this was car advertising last month. And you see, the bar is constantly being lowered of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And as a result, it, it's a lot of feeding going in to our minds and to our eyes, touching our souls, that isn't necessarily the healthiest thing. It typically promotes treating people as objects of desire rather than as precious human beings who deserve love. It also creates an unrealistic expectation of reality that actually can undermine you when eventually you do find the partner of your dreams because you have these things in your head that shouldn't have been there but were put there by a corrupt system. So that's the world's view of sex. Religion's traditional view of sex. It's pretty negative, to be honest. Religion on the whole, has reacted towards sex as if sex is a negative thing. They see sex and pleasure equaling sin. So as a result, there's been a whole lot of diff different things happening. The philosophy typically is sex is dirty, nasty, rotten, and vile, so save it for the one you love. <laughs> but that certainly isn't the Bible's view. This is religion's view. Here's some facts and figures that, that I got from Mark Driscoll, and, and he talks about early church fathers' attitudes towards uh, sex. In the early church, a lot of Greek thinking crept into the church. Now, Greek thinking, uh, which was developed by Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle and such, believed that physical things, the body, is bad, that the body is the prison of the soul, that the body and things related to the body and pleasures are predominantly negative and this Greek thinking crept into the church, and it started having wrong teachings about sex being bad, physical pleasure being bad. Tertullian and Ambrose said that they would prefer the extinction of the human race over continual, continued sexual intercourse. That's a pretty negative view on sex. Oregon was so convinced about the evils of sexual pleasure that he decided to ban the, the book called Song of Solomon, your Bibles, or sometimes called Song of Songs, and he actually took a knife and castrated himself. <laughs> Jerome often threw, this is, this is a really funny one, Jerome often threw himself into thorn bramble bushes when he caught himself desiring women sexually. <laughs> so you've got this guy going along, saying, oh. Throwing himself into bramble bushes to try and deal with sexual thoughts and desires. <laughs> Golly. 
So we're going to supply you guys with a knife and a bramble bush that you can whip yourself every so often with and threaten yourself. All right? Augustine, who had been sexually active prior to his conversion, decided that sex within marriage was not sinful, but lust and passion associated with it was sinful. It's like, you can swim, but don't get wet. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The Catholic Church in the Middle Ages viewed sex within uh, within and outside of the context of marriage, in and out of marriage, as evil. And by the 5th century, the uh, priests were forbidden to marry, which is completely unbiblical. The church began to actually set down limits to when people could have sex, and they literally handed out a calendar to the people who came to church of what days were acceptable to have sex on and what days were not acceptable to have sex on. And it got to the point where almost half of the year was out. You imagine coming here on Sunday night and saying, right, tonight, there's your calendars, folks. Have fun. (laughs) Oh, dear. St. Thomas of Aquinas taught that sex was for the pure purpose of procreation and that enjoyment was not to be part of it. Uh, it's funny, me and Angie were watching, uh, sometimes you watch things you think are nonsense, but you watch it anyway because it's that silly. Okay, that's one of these moments. Don't think, why were they watching that? It was about, it's called the Big Happy Mooney Wedding. <laughs> Did anyone watch that? Yeah. Anyone else weird enough to watch? Yeah, it's it was the weirdest thing out. It was, it was this mass wedding where Mr. Moon, and Mrs. Moon, were, who were the Messiah, apparently, uh, I don't think they were. I think Jesus was, okay, just in case you're wondering, right? Mr. and Mrs. Moon were conducting this mass wedding in New York City, and they had 3,000 couples getting married en masse, and, like, they'd met each other once before that day, <laughs> and it's like kind of interviewing them 40 years later. Yeah, I thought she was okay, and it was kind of weird. So they did this mass marriage, and then Mr. Moon decided, <clears throat> okay, now you're all married, you cannot have sex until I say... <laughs> So they're all waiting for the memo, you know. The <laughs> and then when the memo came, it gave dis- distinct directives on how they could have sex, what position they had to adopt, and they must have a photo of Mr. Moon above their bed as they're doing it. <laughs> I thought, whoa, what religion has done or what cults have done, corrupt in the name of God, stuff that has gone on that is totally not in line, just in case you're wondering, with what God thinks. Here's creation's view of sex. Bear in mind that creation was created by the creator. And this alludes very strongly to what God's view of sex is. And we'll get to the Bible in a minute. Let's look at creation's view of sex. Then we'll look at what the Bible says about sex. Creation's view of sex. Creation, I believe, demonstrates very clearly that God is pro-sex. In the creation of humankinds, God created sexual organs, not just for the function of procreation. He creates female and male sexual organs for the purpose also of pleasure. The clitoris, in, I hope I've said that right, in the lady's body is purely there for one sole purpose, orgasm. It's only there for that reason. Now, evolutionists have a big issue with this because how can you describe the, the creation or the development of species based on survival of the fittest? purely random selection of things with no designer involved whatsoever. 
and then have that. Because it seems to me that God's, as part of, sure, one of the great reasons of having sex is having babies. And to be honest, is there anything greater that two people could do than reproduce themselves? Surely. That's pretty, that's pretty ultimate, isn't it? And in that moment, to endorse the ultimateness of it, God has also made it one of the most heightened moments of excitement that two individuals can have as they're doing the most important thing. That's God. Pure scientific naturalism cannot explain that. It's God. God put the clitoris in the lady's body, and God put something in the guy's body that makes it fun too. So God made it fun. So God is into the idea that actually sex is fun. So how could we say it's sin if God made it fun? God made it fun. How can we say that pleasure is sinful? Say hallelujah to ease the tension. (laughs) There was research carried out by a chap called Jeffrey Swartz, who is one of America's leading neuroscientists, and incidentally, who used to be an atheist, but is now completely reconsidering his stance. In this research, he did a number of things to prove different points. One of the things I found interesting from this research, he sat a whole lot of people down in a room, and he showed them a film, and it was a pornographic film. Showing this film, they had each, every person in this experiment had different uh, things attached to the head which monitored brain activity. While they were watching this pornographic film, they monitored the brain activity and they recognized that the brain activity associated with lust was highly stimulated in that moment. And incidentally, what, what they discovered was this, that that is totally a different part of the brain than the part of the brain that's associated, that is hu- stimulated dramatically while a husband's or a wife makes love to their spouse. It's a totally different part of the brain that's stimulated in in the act of marriage than it is in the act of sex with a stranger. The act of sex with a stranger stimulates a part of the brain that's related to addictions. Damaging. And the part of the brain that's stimulated when you make love to your spouse is actually part of the brain that brings healing, release, and peace. I believe creation itself endorses God's way. And God's way is this, that sex is good, it's very pleasurable, and it's designed for marriage. That's God's way, I believe. Purely on creation. Furthermore, uh, the Bible is clear, and I believe the Bible is God's word. And the Bible says a lot of great stuff about sex. Proverbs 15 Sorry, chapter 5 and verse 15 to 19, what we're going through in Sunday nights, we're looking at Proverbs. The book of Proverbs has got so much wisdom. Next couple of weeks' time, we're going to be talking about uh, sex from the book of Proverbs, about avoiding bad kind of sex. But here, this, this is thorough endorsement of the good kind of sex. And it says in Proverbs 15, verses 5 and verses 15 to 19, it says, Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be spread abroad and streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for your stranger with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. 
He is Solomon, who is the author of, of the book of Proverbs. He also wrote the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. Uh, he's giving incredible wisdom here about husbands, delight yourself in your wife. Don't go looking rounds. Be excited about your wife. The Bible in this clearly depicts God's ideal is this. One person, marriage, one sexual partner for life. Delight, tenderness, passion, enjoyment, honesty, openness, no shame, joy. That's what God wants. And what, what is depicted here is, is, is honesty about the body. It says, delight yourself in your wife and let her breasts satisfy you all time. In other words, husbands, you can look at your wife's naked body. You can delight in that body. There's something honorable, glorious, wonderful, and liberating about sex within marriage. Sex within marriage shouldn't be some shady thing, shouldn't be some secretive thing, shouldn't be some hidden thing, shouldn't be some shameful thing. Shame and sin go hand in hand, but you can enjoy sex thoroughly in the marriage context with openness, with liberty, with with absolute freedom in the name of God. No shame, no sin, pleasurable, absolutely, for life with one person, awesome. Sex in the book of Genesis is very clear. It says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 that the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You see, the idea of being naked with another person with no shame isn't what the world promotes. But the Bible says it's possible to be naked with someone with no shame. And God created sex to not be a shameful, hidden, covert thing, but rather to be an open, honest, passionate, exciting, dynamic, creative, awesome thing for within the context of marriage. No shame involved, no shadowy things, just totally blessed in the sight of God. Awesome. And I want to encourage us to be people who don't have a seedy view of sex, but completely change the way you think about sex and not seeing it as something dirty, but see it as something awesome, God-blessed, designed by Him. Something to be greatly enjoyed, something to be excited about enjoying, something to be creative with, something that should not be associated with shame, but something that should be associated with great joy and marital intimacy. So what is sex for? Okay, is sex purely for procreation? Is it purely just so you have babies? All right? Some of you who think this think I've had sex twice. No. First Corinthians, Paul addresses this subject. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 2 to 5. For those who are wondering if I've had sex four times. No, I've given you. A week. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 2 to 5. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husbands. The wife should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, talking about sex, and the wife likewise to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband's. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife's. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Remember we talked this morning about giving yourself to seasons specifically of prayer and fasting? It's, it's about denying your fleshly desires. Well, this is one of those examples of fasting where you're saying, sorry, honey, not, not, not tonight, I'm going to pray. Do not deprive each other except for mutual consent for a time that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
Paul's talking very honestly and frankly about the subject of sex. Now, Paul, some people misinterpret what Paul says. Paul, they think Paul is advocating pure singleness. It's better to be a single person. Don't get married. If you've read some of Paul's things, it might appear like that. But if you read in Paul's writings, he says things like this. I say this because of the present crisis. Paul was writing at a time where actually it was incredibly tough to be a Christian, where it was likely that you would be um, persecuted by simply going to church and being a believer. And oftentimes in this intense persecution time, husbands and wives would be separated by force, torture would take place, and it, it just wasn't a conducive atmosphere for marriage or children to be raised. So Paul was saying, in these times, it might be better if you're single. But Paul says, you know what? If you can't handle that, go get married. You haven't sinned. It's not a bad thing. And in other places, Paul thoroughly endorses marriage. So God, and it, through his word, is clear that sex is a good thing. But here it also says that you have a marital duty as a husband to the wife and the wife to the husbands. It says you should not deprive each other except for a time of prayer and fasting. In other words, have lots of sex. Don't deprive each other. Let it be a regular part of marriage. Is Paul saying we should have 300 kids? No. He's saying you should have lots of sex. This verse is very clear that sex is not just for having babies. And some of you have been grown up in a Christian backgrounds that said that sex is purely for procreation. That is not the message of the Bible. Interestingly, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, which is one of the most overtly sex books in the Bible, it's the Bible's sex guide, right? That book does not mention having babies once. It doesn't mention it once. But it tells a lot, talks a lot about sexual pleasure, creativity within sex, lots of sex within marriage. It talks a lot about that, but it doesn't mention babies once. Now, I do believe sex is for having babies. Of course I do. Do you think I just thought, where did that come from, right? I know one plus one equals two. I understand these things. But sex is also clearly for pleasure within marriage. And the Bible actually encourages husbands and wives to demonstrate their love physically to one another. I want to encourage you. We're all wired differently. And typically, guys, this is a lot more on your mind than it is in the girls' minds. It is in girls' minds, but it's not in the same way. But ladies, I want to encourage you. Sometimes your hubby is going through a real rough time. He's got a lot on his minds, and he's struggling with some things. You know what? You could really bless him by surprising him. Make love to him. It would thoroughly bless him. I promise you he will not say no. And typically, guys find it embarrassing to ask for sex in a marriage context. So ladies, remember that and offer sex regular. I'm serious. If I don't tell you, who will? I actually think it's healthy and right and godly and proper. And it, you know what? It will change your husband's life more than you realize. Uh, sometimes, for me, it has been the most exciting when Angie just surprises me. Just out of the blue. You, I was not expecting that. Golly. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I tell you, ladies, surprise your husbands. Be creative. And you know what? Sometimes you hear tragic stories of husbands running off with another woman. 
And the wife says, I'm totally shocked because it seemed like he was disinterested in sex. Well, the problem was he was disinterested in sex with you. You weren't creative. You weren't spontaneous. He had to constantly ask for it. You never just surprised him. And I want to say, listen, I'm being brutally honest. If you want me to say nothing, stop embarrassment and let you guys just go off and do what you want and try and survive through and maybe you won't get a divorce, that's fine. But if you want me just to be honest and tell you things that are actually going to help your marriage, then let sex be a regular part of your marriage. Now, sure, he shouldn't be corrupt enough to go looking in the first place. I agree, okay? So I'm not letting the guy off the hook for being loose. I'm not letting him off the hook one bit. But equally, don't just blame him. Realize that you have a part to play and you can preempt those problems. You can stop those thoughts going there by letting sex be a regular part of your marriage. And often, ladies, the ball is in your court. Because if the ball was in the guy's court totally, you know it would be happening every night. So the ball is in the lady's court. And I want to encourage wives, be exciting, awesome wives. You will bless your husbands like nothing. And you know what? He will start to become the husband you longed him to become. It's all gone quiet here tonight. (laughs) So that brings us on to the question, well, what about contraception? You know, if if we're going to have all this sex, but not like thousands of babies, obviously contraception's got to kick in here somewhere. And, you know, there are lots of forms of contraception. And I have absolutely no problem whatsoever with contraception. I don't think the Bible has any problem with contraception. And there are are different types of contraception. There's, okay, you know them. Um, Two things to say about contraception. There is one type of contraception. I see often the Roman Catholic Church because they would predominantly teach that sex is purely for having babies, which I don't believe Paul taught in in the New Testament. He taught also sex is for fun. But I, I, I also, because of that, they, they teach a form of contraception called the rhythm method, which is to do with the time in the month when a woman's body isn't going to be fertile to have babies. And there's a kind of window of opportunity each month that the guy has got highlighted in his diary. He doesn't schedule any meetings those nights. Now, people who use rhythm method of contraception are called parents. (laughs) Big families in Dublin. (laughs) To be sure. So, so I wouldn't necessarily endorse that, although that's fine. A bit risky. (laughs) But also... There is one form of contraception that I would be very down on, and that's the morning after pill. The morning after pill is abortive, or it can be. We are pro-life in this church. We are pro-life. We believe every human being from the point of conception to the point of death. In their old age, they should be protected. And from the very point of conception, they should be protected. The safest place in this planet should be the mother's womb. Yet tragically... And I'm angry about this. That it's sometimes the most unsafe place to be as a human being. And in some countries, if you're in the womb, you're actually more unsafe than you would be outside of the womb. Because the abortion rate is far higher than the birth rate. And that's tragic. 
Every day in the UK, hundreds of abortions take place. Since 1987, the Abortion Act was passed. Well over six million abortions have taken place on our shores. That's the scale of the Holocaust, folks. And some of you here are hurting because you've had an abortion. And what, the, way, the only way people can deal with, this, uh, <clears throat> with an abortion is one of two ways. Either they believe, well, it wasn't a life anyway. The doctors tell you it wasn't really a life. And, that's, that's, and so in your minds, you realize, okay, I didn't take life. It wasn't a life. But that doesn't really sit, folks. If you just left it, there'd be a child, there'd be a life. You know that. And the Bible says in Psalm 139 that while you were in your mother's womb, God created you. And then the other way to deal with it is this. If you acknowledge that you've taken life, then you're going to be carrying massive guilt. Statistically, the, the rate of suicide among people who have had an abortion is far greater and far higher than those who have not had an abortion. There is direct links, strong links, dramatic links to the suicide rate. <clears throat> we are so pro-life. And here's the good news as well. First of all, I want to preempt you going there. Please, have kids. And you know what? Maybe it was an accident, but don't make another mistake. The best thing you could do now is raise that kid and turn it around for the good and let that kid become a great individual that can make a big difference in this world. So it's about taking responsibility. The other good news is this. You can be forgiven. If you have had an abortion, here's what I would recommend. Acknowledge it was a life and that you have sinned. Ask God's forgiveness and know his instant, total forgiveness for the crime committed and you can walk free. And you know what? I've committed tons of crimes. I've committed horrendous crimes throughout my life. I'm a thorough sinner. So this isn't one sin above all other sins. This is one of many sins that are part of the human race. But I'm just going to talk about this one just now because we're on this subject. So I'm not singling you out tonight. But I'm telling you, listen, you can be free. You can live free. And you can know forgiveness. And you can meet your child when you get to heaven. You can meet your child when you get to heaven. So let's be honest. So let's protect children in the womb. Sex is for pleasure as well as for procreation. And God wants sex to be a regular, healthy part of marriages. And it protects marriages. And it preempts negative things happening. Paul said this, um, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you do not come together regular, it will give an opportunity for Satan to tempt your spouse. And I want to encourage you, the place where that desire should be outworked is in the context of marriage. How often should you have sex? A woman accompanied her husband to the doctors. He did all these tests on the husbands, and he wasn't feeling too great. And, um, and he, he diagnosed the situation. He said, oh boy, this is tragic. And he said, husband, do you mind going out? Can you ask your wife to come in? And so he, he, he brings the wife in and says, the doctor says to the wife, listen, your husband has got a serious illness. Um, he, he, to be honest, has only got a month to live. And the only way you have got to save his life is if you make love to him every day. You cook him a full breakfast every morning. You never disagree with him. You stroke his head. You, you just have the house just lovely and don't give him any of your burdens. Just keep them to yourself. Don't talk about things when he's not in the mood for talking. Just 
And you've got to do this for a sustained daily way for the next year if you want your husband to live. Just pretty honest talk. And so he said, okay, I'll leave that advice with you. So she comes out and they're going home and the husband turns to the wife and says, so what did the doctor say? And she says, yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> How often should you have sex? Well, I've kind of covered this. Regular, I reckon. How regular is regular? The worst thing you can do is compare it with other people. And to be honest, how do you know what other people do? And you've got all the statistics. But to be honest, statistics don't really work out. Because the fact is, you go through seasons in life. There are not just seasons in the, in the woman's cycle, but also there's the seasons in life. If you're going through an incredibly busy time in life, or if there's a lot of stress on just now, you know what? It might not be the most conducive time for having lots of sex. It might be that sex doesn't happen for a bit. But what I would encourage you to do as a couple is that you make time, make conducive atmospheres where pressure does back off. Give time to holidays. Um, Edwin Lewis Cole, who wrote the book Maximize Manhood, that I've been recommending, um, which again, if they sell out from the back there, you can get Maximize Manhood's uh, new or used copies from Amazon. So please do uh, make the most of that. Guys especially, it's great. And, and girls, you know, read that book as well because it, it's actually encouraged on the back. Norm, uh, Ed Cole's wife encourages ladies, read this book because it will help you understand what, help you understand guys. <laughs> and in that book, Edwin, Ed Cole says, you know, me and my wife make a, a yearly practice of going on honeymoon. And they, they, he advocates having at least four days without your kids there every year to make space for marital intimacy. And you know what? Sometimes you've got to force time. In the midst of busy time and stress, let this be one of the priorities that you don't let slip because it will, it will keep a healthiness in your marriage. It will keep a healthiness in your relationships. Here's the next question. How do I deal with my sexual desires? Maybe you're a single person here and you've got all these sexual desires how do I deal with this? And you know, the, the Catholic Church's response to this has, for, for priests, for example, has been to keep them pure, they shouldn't marry. It's been seen in the news that that hasn't worked. It actually goes against the grain of humanity. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that leaders can't marry. 1 Corinthians 7 and verses 8 to 9 says this. Paul writing to the unmarried, he says, Now to the unmarried and to widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I am. And again, remember Paul was talking about the context of the time when there was a lot of martyrdoms and it was tough to be a believer. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. <laughs> Yay. The solution to sexual desire is very simple. Get married. That is the legitimate, honest solution to sexual desire. Now, it's not the only reason you should get married. If it is, don't marry him. <laughs> but it is one of the very valid reasons for getting married. It is totally valid. So the question is, well, how young should I get married? There's no rules. Now, do you know what? There's a lot of pressure on you from the culture to get married you know, much later on. The same culture also pressurizes you to spend huge amounts of money on your wedding 
So what you've got to do is you've got to wait many years to save up the money to pay for the wedding. All right? And in the meantime, the same culture would encourage you, well, just sleep together, cohabit until you get married, save up your pennies, and then have a big marriage. And we're white. It doesn't seem right, folks. Would it not be better in the sight of God for you just to go along to a registry office, sign the deal, get someone to pray for you, bless them, Lord? You're married. You didn't have the big celebration, but you had integrity before God. Honestly, I'm serious. It's better to do that than put on this big show and in the meantime compromise. Is it okay to sleep with someone before married? Absolutely fine. It's what you do when you're awake that I'm concerned about. You stay asleep. <laughs> not, not just from, from the Bible. The Bible's very clear that uh, sex outside of marriage isn't best. Now, it might be exciting, of course. That's why people do it. But it isn't the best. And um, it, it's, it's a sin according to the Bible. So I, I want to encourage you, don't do that. But, you know, statistically as well, it isn't the most beneficial to you. It will not benefit your life Here's some statistics from the State of the Nation report, which I think the Conservative government um, helped put together. This is the statistics from it. Within five years of the birth of a child, 8% of married couples split up, compared with 52% of cohabitees, and 25% of those who have cohabited but who got married after the birth. Let me run that past you again. Within five years of the birth of a child, 8% of married couples have a divorce, this is compared to 52% of cohabitants, people who aren't married, just living together, having a kid. 52% of them will split up statistically before the fifth birthday of the kid. And 25% of those who were cohabiting and had a kid, who got married, they will split up as well. Statistically, it is the safest bet. Some people are saying, well, I don't want to get married because my, my parents couldn't make it through. How can I make it through? Or maybe you've had a bad experience with marriage, you're divorced, and you're thinking, I'm not going to go there again, I'm just going to cohabit, I'm going to shack up. But the reality is, are you thinking you're saving yourself pain by making that decision? You're thinking, uh, I'll avoid the pain of divorce. You're thinking that. But actually what you're doing is, by making that decision, you're setting yourself up for more splits than you would have statistically if you'd made a decision to get married. And yet I know marriage has got legal implications. So it should. And that's, the very, that's one of the good deterrents. Now listen, I'm not for the whole idea of like in the Victorian era where you know, there wasn't so much divorce because it was kind of frowned upon. But then what people did, they, they just kind of suffered. <laughs> and they kind of suffered silently for years and years. And to be honest, while they weren't divorced, the fact was the marriage was dead. Okay? I'm not for that either. I'm not advocating that. In some cases, divorce is right. In fact, do you know what? Divorce isn't a sin. Divorce was God's idea. Where does divorce appear? It appears in the Bible. Where does it appear in the Bible? In the law of Moses, who God told him to write. Divorce was actually God's idea. Now, it wasn't his ideal, but it was his idea. And it was there, why? To protect people. To protect people. Specifically to protect the rights of the women. From being in situations where they're being used and abused and treated like doormats. 
so that they can get a way out legally and they are free to live. That's what divorce was put there for by God. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't just settle for shacking up or cohabiting. Marriage is God's ideal. What are the confines of sex? As I said earlier, I believe sex is for within marriage. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Sex outside of marriage, God will judge. Fornicators, it's an old word, but it means sex outside of marriage. Adulterers, well, we all know what that means. It means you're going outside of marriage to have sex, but you are a married person. And the Bible strongly dissuades people from going down this route. I want to encourage you not even to go there in your thoughts. Because it's usually you go there in your thoughts before you go there in reality. And the world we're living in empowers you to think more thoughts than ever before. So protect your soul. Guard your heart against such things. And it will truly protect you when it comes to marriage. It will empower you to have a good long marriage. So what are acceptable sexual activities within marriage? You know, this is, this is a big question. And again, this is a question that's often asked, or you may not have even asked it. You've asked it in here, but you'd never dare ask it anywhere else. For example, oral sex. Is that allowable in a Christian marriage? Masturbating your spouse. Is that allowable? Now, we all know about these things, so why can't we talk about these things? Are these things godly things? Different sexual positions. Is that godly and appropriate with a marriage? Do you know what? The Bible doesn't say much about all that. In fact, it does. In the Song of Solomon, it seems to advocate some of those things. Mark Driscoll, who was here with us about two months ago, in fact, it was November. In November, Mark Driscoll did a message in the 12 o'clock service here from the Song of Solomon where he was teaching about oral sex, stripping in front of your spouse, and masturbating your spouse. (laughs) Now, what I'm really glad about is this. He taught it and not me. All right? It only needs to be taught once in the entire church life ever. And from then on, I just refer people, listen to his MP3. Or talk to Owen. You know, he'll keep you right. Our resident nudist photographer. So, hey, you know, right, listen. Here's the thing, right? You're all shocked that I mentioned those things. But you've heard those things, yeah? Yeah, you've heard those things. What context have you heard those things in? You've heard them in so many other contexts, and you've usually heard them in a seedy context. I'm not advocating seediness. I'm advocating biblicalness. Now, here's the rule. The golden rule is this. Love. That is the golden rule. Love. And here's the difference. Lust gets, but love gives. This is the golden rule. Within the confines of marriage, give love. Not take, 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 but give, give, give. The thing I like about that book, The Act of Marriage, is it advocates in a very open and explicit way good sex. But the emphasis in that good sex handbook, it might be completely different to the good sex handbook you would get from the bookstore on the main street. Because the typical worldly emphasis is this. Get all these experience, get, 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 take, How does it feel? That's the priority thought. What I like about this book, The Act of Marriage, and actually what I like about the Bible, is the emphasis is not about what you can get out of the experience, but rather, what can you give to your spouse? 
if something creative sexually blesses your spouse, then you go for it. It's not sin. It's pure. It's loving. And it's blessed your spouse. Why? Because it's out of love. So what you need to do is you need to be able to talk in marriage. Talk about what would bless you. That is an awkward chat to have. But it's a good chat. It's an important chat. What would be a blessing? Moving on. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, I would encourage you. uh, Go listen to Mark Driscoll's MP3 on the Song of Solomon. Mark Driscoll preached the same message through in Destiny Church Glasgow, and they put it online as their video cast. Do you know what? The amount of people who tried to download that crashed their server. (laughs) Right? They have never had so many downloads. I'm serious. They have never had so many downloads of any video they have put on that website. I mean, talking about Jesus, the divinity of Christ, getting saved, all these important issues, heaven and hell and all this, right? Forget that. Give us sex. (laughs) Right? So all those perverts are downloading this. Mark Driscoll, (laughs) I'm kidding you. But you know what? Y'all act like you're not interested in this. I just, I always come to Sunday evening meetings. I just, just so happens he's talking about this tonight. You know, I'm, I, he, he might not notice it's the first time I've ever been at Sunday evening meeting. Okay, I understand, right. But the fact is, you are all interested, right? Yes, say amen, Peter. I'm interested. Say, I'm interested in sex. No. Right? You, I know you're all interested in sex because you all downloaded the video from the Glasgow Church website. And you had the excuse to download it from a website because it said church on it, right? First time it's been safe. So it tells me this. Everyone's got these questions. Everyone's interested. But very few people are open and honest enough to ask the questions or open and honest to talk about it. So what I love about Mark Driscoll is he talks about it openly. And I also love that he did it, not me. (laughs) So go get the downloads. You can either watch it live on the Glasgow site, or you get the download from our website, and it's, I think it's very honest, and in my opinion, very balanced. I think it offends people who have got a very strong religious background. It seems so shocking. But actually, analyze your religious upbringing. Is your religious upbringing actually accurate? Because the issue is, what does the Bible say? Not what does religion say. Not what does your worldly emphasis say. But what does the Bible say? Okay? Next point, don't compare. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Don't compare. You see, we have this statement that the grass is greener on the other side. And it's such a lie that people buy into. People end up comparing their husband, their wife, with someone else's husband or wife. This is tragic. It's tragic for a number of reasons. First of all, it means that you never fully enjoy what you've got. Your mind's living somewhere else. <clears throat> the Bible says don't compare yourself with others. Don't compare yourself. Your, if only my husband was like that. If only my wife was like that. It's a lie, folks. Folks, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where it's watered. So look after your side of the fence. Love your wife. Love your husband. Devote yourself. This is an awesome challenge. Give yourself to them for the rest of your days. That's a challenge. And re- not just in a begrudging way. Totally. Enjoy it. Have the best. Don't settle for anything less. For life. Awesome. Exciting. 
compassionate to people for life. And it's tough, and there's challenges. You've got to work at it, but it is possible. It's interesting, uh, Mark Driscoll mentioned this at the men's conference as well. He made a very profound point, and I thought this was great. When Adam met Eve, you know, up till then it had been kind of aardvargs and elephants, and whoa, man. There was something different. And from that point onwards, Adam's standard of beauty was Eve. That was it. No one to compare her with. Just Eve. That was his standard of beauty. And Mark Driscoll made the point that your standard of beauty, husbands, is your wife when she's 20. When you're 20, and that's your age. She's your standard of beauty. Your standard of beauty when she's 50 is your wife when she's 50. Your standard of beauty before they have kids is your wife before she has kids. Your standard of beauty after she has kids is your wife after she has kids. Don't let your mind wander. Be true to your spouse. Your standard of beauty is always your wife. And do you know what? The world sells you this big lie. I don't know if you saw that clip we showed a few weeks ago, uh, the Dove commercial, which showed this lassie coming in. Uh, and she, she got all tarted up and all the stuff on and then scanned and put into Photoshop and kind of lengthened and the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> and then they put her on this big commercial. And do you know what? There is such a lie going by the media that this is beauty and that is beauty. And it, it causes a lot of paranoia. It causes a lot of you to have eating disorders it causes a lot of husbands to have their minds wandering because, girls, that does affect guys in a different way than it affects you. It, it, it does cause a lot of negative damage. Please, please, please don't let the world pollute or undermine your beautiful relationship you have with your husband or your wife. Love them. Adore them. Give yourself to them for life. And uh, allow, uh, for the unmarried here, don't let that corrupt you and taint your view of what sex is all about. And Because what it will do is... You, it will pollute you as you go into a greater thing. And it will undermine it how good it could be. So keep yourself pure in your thinking. And get yourself a wife or a husband. Okay, important things about men and women. Uh, nearly there. Here's a couple of slides. This next slide, I found this, this is quite funny. Who did this, a man or a woman? Who, made, who designed this? <laughs> A guy, yeah, a guy. <laughs> and if what, what, it, what it does, it's quite funny, isn't it? <laughs> and actually, ladies, as, it's, this gives you a little bit of insight, okay? <laughs> this gives you a little bit of insight into the, the way a man's brain thinks, all right? Uh, I don't know what you guys would press first. Uh, I, I kind of tend towards the top left quite often. It's, uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm just joking. I'm, please, don't, please don't tell Angie I said that. <laughs> um, but this is a guy designed this, all right? It's very evident it's a guy designed this. Next slide is equally funny. I like this. That's funny, isn't it? That's really funny. <laughs> it's like, guys, when it all goes wrong, you're thinking, oh, no. 
What have I done? It's like... Ah! <laughs> it's all these buttons and knobs and what one was it this time? <laughs> right? But with the guys, it's just on, off. On, off. It's cool. It's so simple. But you know what? Isn't that awesome that we're so different? Now, do you know what? Some guys, just, some of you single folks, just don't get that in the slice. Wait till you get married. Save this JPEG to your get married file, dig it up, then laugh. The laugh will be on you. You will suddenly realize all of a sudden, I tell you honestly, marriage was a massive shock to the system for me. Colossal shock to the system. I did two things in 1998, which I saw both as missionary work. I started the church and I got married. Both, both, they happened within a month of each other. I would never advise taking such risky steps as that. In, so close together. It was crazy. Starting a church and getting married. We started the church. Uh, I started the church in my flat a month before I got married to Angie. It was the craziest moment in our lives. You, you pioneer a lot of things, but you know, I found those early stages of marriage so challenging because you know what? I thought Angie was a bit more like me than she is. She is so opposite to me. She just thinks in a completely different way. She does things differently. Different things matter to her than matter to me. Things I can't be bothered with are important to her. And now I bother with them. And all of a sudden, you have to learn. It's like learning a whole new language. It's like learning a whole new language. And you know what? Love motivates you to learn that language. Figure out the buttons. Ah. (laughs) Ding, ding. Right? And it's so important that we learn how to relate with the opposite sex. Now, tonight, we're going to talk about communication in marriage in, in a, next month. But tonight, I'm, I'm, the theme is sex, just in case you had, hadn't guessed. And in, along these lines, this diagram helps. All right? So please print this diagram out and put it above your bed and refer to it regularly. <laughs> because the fact is that husbands and wives are completely different sexually. Guys on, off. It doesn't take them long, it's just on. It's not, it's not like they need to talk about it for years in advance, it's just, okay. They're ready. They're ready. Uh, however, ladies, it takes a bit of time. And uh, the problem comes is this. Guys, if you're just treating your, your wife like an object, then you ain't loving her. And you're just on, off and she's off all the time. And you're wondering why sex isn't how it should be? You're not loving her as you are. The fact is, guys can climax and have an orgasm like that. Some guys struggle with premature ejaculation because it's just on, gone. Serious. And the Act of Marriage actually, that book, The Act of Marriage, actually talks about that and it helps give advice how to deal with that. And, but women take longer. And if sex is to be a mutually pleasurable experience, then guys, you have a responsibility to the married men to make sure that you love your wife appropriately. That's why foreplay, preparing for marriage, sorry, preparing for the Act of Marriage, <laughs> is important. And taking time, taking time. You know, do you know what? To be honest, guys, uh, having sex, making love starts at breakfast time. And what I mean by that is it starts with a kiss in the morning. Love you, honey. 
It starts with treating her nicely. It starts with, uh, you know, when you're watching your program and she says those dreaded words, I'd like to talk about some things. Tell you, honestly, guys, that sends shudders down your spine. Doesn't it? Honestly, doesn't it? Honey, I'd like to talk about some things. Honestly, you'd as well say, can I gouge your eye out? It's just, (laughs) no! (laughs) Girls, you have no idea. Honestly, you have no idea. You have no idea. Uh, They are dreaded words. But all all of that, because one of the reasons ladies talk is to create intimacy. Another reason ladies talk is to find out what they want to talk about. Honestly, and figure out how they want to say it. It's, just, it's true. But one of the reasons ladies talk is to create intimacy. And if you ain't listening, and then you hope to just jump into bed at the end of the night and have some yee <laughs> you have not prepared the way. See, there are lots of buttons you've got to press. And you've got to hold off your sexual pleasure, your on-off, your quick ejaculation, you've got to hold off, you've got to give pleasure and love to your wife, you've got to touch tenderly, you've got to speak lovingly, you've got to adore, you've got to prepare the way for good sex. And good sex can happen. And tragically, um, for, for many married couples, uh, the husband is the only one for years who has had orgasm. Tragically. But it shouldn't be that way. God's created it to be blessed and if you can work together, it can be blessed. I, I do thoroughly recommend The Act of Marriage, that book. It does talk in detail about these things and gives a lot better advice than I could ever give. Um, so there's a difference between men and women. A couple of last tips just to finish off with. I want to encourage you, uh, whether you are married or single, live with integrity in this area. Do you know what? If you hang out for a long period of time with someone from the opposite sex in private, it's going to damage you. Not that they're evil, not that you're evil, not that it starts out with malicious intent, but before you realize it, you might end up intimate with them and you go places you shouldn't have gone. And you either end up as a single person with another single person that you never intended to be with by default, or if you're a married person, you might just ruin your marriage right there. So listen, my advice is this. If you're in a work situation where you are constantly in a situation where you're having to go on long trips or whatever, or be with someone of the opposite sex, then figure out a way of changing your work situation. It's better that you change jobs than you lose your marriage. I'm serious, and don't think you're too, I'm strong enough for this. Sometimes you're not. In the wrong place at the wrong time, you could end up doing the wrong thing, and it only takes a moment to ruin you. Also, you know, it's, it's, it's also prudent and wise just to, just to, guard the way you are for the sake of your wife as well because she wants to be secure in, in her relationship with you and equally men you want to be able to trust your wife fully so please be guarded in the way you are don't spend prolonged periods of time with other people f- who are not who are different sex to you for example in on the staff here at the church we would encourage never being alone with another person of the opposite sex we would in- encourage leaders in the church cell leaders and team leaders and and pastoral care people, not to be alone by yourself in a building with someone of the opposite sex. Always have other people around in those moments. You should never develop intimacy 
in a way that's outside of the marriage confines because it might end up taking you places you don't want to go. Another tip I want to end with, if you have been abused, and I know for, we've had a lot of fun tonight, we've had a bit of joking around, I think. But the fact is, some of you here, you're hurting, and you like all this, and you think, ha-ha, but I'm actually hurting. It hasn't been as good as you're describing, Peter, and it isn't the nicest thing, and I've, had, I've been abused and misused. Listen, the good news is, with God's help, you can be completely whole. The thing is, in a marriage context, someone who has suffered abuse, that will dramatically affect the sexual part of your marriage. Equally, if you're unmarried and preparing for marriage, it could affect your future marriage. So my advice is this, get help. First of all, come to God. Secondly, talk to someone. Not any random person. Talk to someone you know and trust. Someone who's got a bit of maturity in the faith. Maybe if you're a part of a cell group, we have cell groups running midweek which help provide pastoral care. Talk to your cell group leader in confidence. Depending on what you've gone through and depending on how how severe the abuse has been, you might want to come in and talk to one of the pastoral staff here. Or you might want to arrange an appointment with Roddy, uh, who's on staff as our counsellor. There are other... uh, if, if, if you're a lassie and you'd rather meet a lassie to talk about this, we can put you in touch with uh, people who are excellent pastorally or trained counsellors who are lassies who can sit there and help you. But listen, be whole. If you're preparing for marriage and you're aware, you know what, there's some stuff happened back then, then it's, it's always wise to deal with it. Also, if, have no secrets from your spouse. Have no secrets from your future spouse. If you're about to get married, have no secrets. Have no secrets from your spouse. Things may have gone down. And you know what? Lying or lies or not complete transparency, will un- there's nothing more that will undermine your marriage than that. Now listen, I've had a sexual past. My wife knows about it completely. I've had a lot of stuff in my past that I totally regret. Not stuff I would share publicly because I'm ashamed. You'd be exactly the same. And you know what? My wife, there's nothing my wife does not know about my past. Nothing. And they're awkward conversations. But it really, that transparency provides a good foundation for relationship. So I want to encourage you, have transparency, have honesty, and you can build with strength for the future. So that's our sex talk, Birds and the Bees, part one. Let me end with Jesus Christ. He is Lord, he is God, and the truth is, that outside of him, you're lost. And I kind of urge you, kind of plead with you, why not come to him tonight? Uh, we've had lots of things to think about, about physical, earthly relationships, and that's all good and blessed. And maybe your impression of God was that he was anti-sex. Well, I hope tonight's helped dispel some of that. Maybe you're, you've, had, you've been totally put off by religion, and you know what? I'm put off by religion as well. And I'm oft, often put off by what Christians do in the name of God which absolutely does not represent God whatsoever. But just stand back from all that a moment and look at God. He is incredible. He's here and he cares deeply for you. He wants to make you whole. He wants you to know a full life, a blessed life. And at the end of it, he wants to give you an etern- eternal life. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And we're all going to pray about different things. In this moment, when we're all bow our heads and pray, 
I guess some of you will be praying about some of the things you've heard me talk about. Some of you will be talking to God about some of these things. But others of you, maybe you're here and you're not in that relationship with God. I'm just going to give you that opportunity as we pray if you want to make your relationship with God current. I'm not talking about becoming religious. I'm not talking about becoming a member of this church, although you'd be very welcome to. I'm talking about your relationship with the God who made you and who loved you so much that he sent Jesus. And when Jesus came, he died on the cross, paying the price for all your sin, all your shame, all your brokenness, so that you can be completely forgiven and repaired and restored into a new relationship with the God who loves you and made you. So come to him tonight. Don't run from him. Run to him. And then the third day after dying on the cross for you, he rose again. He's alive. And the Bible promises if you put your faith in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. You will know forgiveness and you will come into a whole new start in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us and you demonstrated what love is all about. God, thank you that you created sex. God, you created sex to be a wholesome, good, honorable thing, a passionate thing, an exciting thing, a thing where husbands and wives can thoroughly enjoy each other and give love and receive love and express love in a very tangible and real way. Thank you, God, this was your design. We recognize through creation that you've made us people not just to be able to have children, but also to be able to enjoy each other. God, also, Father, you've, um, you've created marriage and sex for blessing for the world, that children can be born, that they can be born into a secure, loving environment. And God, we've all got history. Some of us are living with many regrets. Some of us have had marriages and through whatever, whoever's fault have marriages have broken up. Some of us have had lots of sexual activity outside of marriage that we regret. Some of us have gone off and abused others or been abused. But God, I want to thank you that today is a new day and that you're with us. And although that's what the past has looked like, thank you, God, that with your help and with your wisdom, we can have a blessed future. And God, I pray for every one of my dear friends here tonight, that God, with your help, we would build for a good future, that sexually we'd be a healthy church, that relationships here would be healthy relationships, that in marriages there'd be great delight and tenderness. God, I commit this great church family to you, and I pray that would be the hallmark of our church, that would be happy, blessed families, that not just about ourselves, but we, we're here to model something and bless our city in a city that's so confused and so hurt in this area. God, I pray just now for anyone tonight who doesn't know you, who is outside of a relationship with you. God, I ask you, Father, that you would in this moment give them the courage to commit themselves to you, to follow you. Okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity just now. While everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you want to make your own commitment with God, if you want to make your commitment to the God who made you, to ask his forgiveness for all your sin, and to make a commitment to follow him, to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, to believe that he rose from the dead, and to let him become the Lord of your life. In your heart, you feel this is the right thing to do. Then what I would love to do is this. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer 
of commitment to God. And I invite you simply to repeat this prayer after me. You pray it with me. Use my words. Just repeat this line for line after me. Not out loud. Pray it quietly, just under your breath. And let this be your commitment to God. It might be that you've already made this commitment years ago, but you've walked away from it. Well, tonight, come back. God loves you. Come back to him. Or maybe you've never made this commitment. And that's great. You, you pray this prayer. Make this commitment tonight. But pray it from your heart. Don't be half-hearted. Be wholehearted. Be clear. So pray like this. Pray, dear Lord God, I want to thank you for your immense love for me. Thank you. You demonstrated this love by sending Jesus. Jesus, I believe you, you died on the cross for my sins, which are many. And I'm asking you to forgive me for all my sins. Cleanse me from all the nonsense that's been in my life. Give me a new start today, I pray. Thank you, God. Jesus, I believe you died for me, but you also rose again. I believe you're alive right now. And tonight, I pledge my allegiance to you. I commit to following you for the rest of my days to the best of my ability. I make you the Lord of my life. Thanks, God, for hearing my prayer and for accepting me this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Just for a moment. I would love the opportunity and privilege of praying for anyone here who made that commitment just there. If you, in your heart, you prayed with me and you made that commitment to God, then I'm going to ask you to identify yourself. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to get you to stand up. I'm not going to draw people's attention to you. Just where you're sitting, while everyone else's eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to pray for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, can I ask you simply to raise your hand if you prayed that prayer? Thanks. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thanks, man. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? If you want me to pray for you, just put your hand up and I'll pray for you. God, I pray for these precious individuals. Tonight, they have made this commitment to you. And God, they prayed this in their hearts before you. And I pray now, God, help them not just to tonight follow you. Help them to make a decision for the rest of the days to live a life, paying tribute and bringing glory to you. I pray, God, that they would have an awesome life. I thank you that they, according to Scripture, are now totally forgiven because they've asked your forgiveness and you promise you'll give it. That's good news. Thank you, God, the past is legally dealt with in your sight. And I pray now, God, your Holy Spirit would empower them now to live with strength as they face the future. Jesus, I thank you that as they have put their faith in you, the one who died for them and rose again, that the Bible is crystal clear that they now have eternal life. Not just when they die, but from here on in, they are now eternal beings. And I pray, God, they would know the joy and the assurance of that. In Jesus' name. And I also pray, God, that you'd help them now to get connected with church so they can grow in this faith. Not just tonight, but every week, grow in their faith, part of your people, able to grow and live a life that brings you honor. So God, thank you for them. We bless them. And I pray you'd look after them in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand to feet. We're going to worship God. Just to end the service.